Welcome to Ask Dr. Jessica, the podcast where my goal is to give you quality content to help you along your parenting journey. I'm your host and pediatrician, Dr. Jessica Hockman. I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, anxiety specialist, Lynn Lyons. Lynn has been on the podcast before if you want to check out past episodes, episodes 31 and 32, and she's always been a pleasure to talk to. Lynn is a therapist, author, speaker, and host of the podcast, Fluster Clucks. Today, we're going to talk about Lynn's new book, The Anxiety Audit. Lynn, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. I've been so excited to have you here. We had you on in the past, and you were here in the past, and the feedback that I've gotten from patients about how much of an impact you've made and how listening to your podcast has really influenced them, I have to tell you, is tremendous. So thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome, and right back at you, because I have referred... I have sent many of my clients to the different podcasts that you had, including the one you had where I think you were talking to your uncle, the GI doctor. Oh, thank you. Doctor. Um, yeah, and I have a client who is really struggling with anxiety related to her GI stuff. And I said, you, you just need to listen to this. You're going to learn some things. Aww. So it was really helpful. Thank you very much. I can't wait to talk about your new book, The Anxiety Audit. And I think just, just up front, I want to say what I, one of the reasons I love you so much is you, you don't, um, you talk about anxiety in a way in such a lighthearted manner. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and I like that your mission, I relate so much with your goals, which is to get us back to having fun, enjoying life, connecting with others. And I think so much mm-hmm. can get lost that that is so important in life. And so I appreciate that you talk about that. Yeah. Well, thanks. I think that right now, especially with uh, the teenagers I work with, there's really a culture of pathologizing and a culture of crisis. Not that they aren't struggling, of course, but I I do want to just give the message that sometimes really just going outside for a walk is a really good thing you can do for yourself, right? You don't have to, you don't have to do all these dramatic things that people talk about. Sometimes you really just need to hang out with your friends or go for a walk or get an ice cream cone. Like it's just, we really need to just help everybody kind of take it down a notch because there's so much to be worried about and it's not doing us any good. I completely agree with everything you just said. I know for myself personally, if I feel stressed and I want to lighten my day, those simple things make all the difference. Just getting outside mm-hmm. just for a little bit, just calling a friend that I enjoy mm-hmm. their company, those little things make a world of difference in my day. So I agree. Yep. Same with me. Same with me. We relate. Um, so I, yes. I wanted to talk about your book a little bit, and I encourage everybody um, who struggles with anxiety, or even if you don't, uh, or I would say we all do, but it's such a great book, and it really breaks down how to find where anxiety sneaks into our life. And I definitely related with so much of what you wrote. Um, before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, what inspired you to write the book? I know you've written books before, but what particularly mm-hmm. inspired you to write this book? Well, yeah, so the the previous three books I've written have been really focused on kids and parenting in particular. And I've been talking so much about modeling. And I'm a big believer. I think I probably said the last time I was on with you, I don't see kids alone in my practice. It's so important that the parents are getting the information. So there was, I, I really wanted to talk to adults directly about the patterns they have. And in particular, having them recognize 
you have to own your own stuff. You have to recognize your own patterns because you will unknowingly model them for the children in your lives and you will unknowingly bring them into your relationships and your jobs. I don't think a lot of people really know how these patterns are connected to our worry and anxiety. So as I started doing this, and I actually did a course with with Robin, my podcast co-host and sister-in-law, we did a course during the pandemic called The Anxiety Audit. So she said, you should just make that into a book. And I remember she said, it'll be easy, which <laughs> if anybody, yeah, uh, for that's what people who haven't written a book say, it'll be easy, just write it up. So that's how it all came to be. But I really wanted to talk about modeling and understanding, just normalizing this whole thing, because it's just so, so common and we need to expand our view of it so it's not seen as, you know, just a pounding heart or just sweaty palms or just feeling sick, that there's so much more to it than that. And I think you're so right when you say that modeling is incredibly important. I know that when I see kids in my office that are anxious, not always, but I would definitely say most of the time, the parents also suffer from anxiety. And so I know that mm-hmm. parents often tell me they're concerned. They, they know, they go, I'm, I'm anxious and I really don't want my kids to, to have that problem. Mm-hmm. How can I help my right. kids? So yep. your book is a great, uh, a great resource for anybody who's listening that, that does have that concern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we should all have that concern because anxiety and depression and substance use are so common that we as parents really should be thinking about how are we interrupting the generational cycle, right? That's my, that's one of my big goals. We all came from something and we all have baggage. How do we interrupt that cycle? Absolutely. Um, so I wanted to ask about a few things that I, that I extra connected with. Um, okay. The first is the topic of being crazy busy. Um, mm-hmm. I think so many. <laughs> Um, you know, I think you really, you really nailed it. Um, just that being crazy busy, it's such a problem. And that nowadays people that are busy, it sort of correlates with sounding important. Yeah. That was, that was interesting research. Um, when I was, when I was looking up what I was going to write about in that chapter, it was so interesting what, what I found, which is, So true is that we can't really brag about money. Like if somebody says, you know, Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I just closed a deal for 50 grand. So I'm feeling, you know, you're like, Oh my God, what a jerk. Right. Or when people are like, Hey, look at my new car. You're like, Oh, please get over yourself. But if we run into somebody and we can brag about how busy we are, how busy our kids are, right? That humble brag that I talk about that you see on Facebook, like what a crazy weekend. My, oh my gosh, we had seven soccer games and 12 gymnastic meets. And, and it's just, it, it, it's, it's socially sanctioned to just talk about how busy you are and how important you are. And also it makes us feel good. Like we feel like we're important and we feel like we're worthy, right? And that's the message we have to make sure that we aren't passing on to our kids is that the way we measure our worth is how stressed we are. I talk a lot when I go into schools I was just in a school, um, where was I yesterday? North Carolina. And I was just in this school and they were talking about what I call one-upping. So in these high achieving environments, a kid will say like, oh, I only slept for four hours. And then another kid will say, well, like I only slept for two hours or, um, you know, well, I'm on five meds. Well, I'm on six meds or, you know, they just, it's, it's how can we make our 
absolute stressful lives sound important. And kids are totally picking up on that. The conversation, even just you talking about it sounds stressful and stressed. (laughs) It is is stressful. It is. Well, and it's funny because if I ran into you, we don't live in the same place, but say say we lived in the same town and I ran into you and I said, hey, how are you doing, Jessica? And you were like, you know what? I'm just coasting, man. I'm just... (laughs) Oof, I'm just laid back. I would go home and I'd go like, wow, what's going on with Jessica, right? Is she, what's she doing? She's not stressed. Right. It would just seem weird Why is she at so this boring? point, right? Why is she boring? Right. Why is she, was she lazy? Right. What is she, lazy? Yeah. We're very judgy these days about people not doing a ton of stuff. We are. It's true. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, you know, I do know, I know that it's good for kids to have free time and to not be so structured, mm-hmm. but there's a flip side to that where if they're if there's too much idle time and they're too unstructured and too bored, they can get into trouble. Right, right. What was that saying they used to say? Idle hands are the devil's work. Exactly. Did you ever yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, and it's that balance. We We use that word balance, but I think it's... I don't want kids to be bored. I don't want them to be doing nothing. I don't want them to be lying on the couch on their phones all day. Um, I just don't want them to be super scheduled. And I think particularly with young kids playing, letting kids play without having it so scheduled and so arranged and so organized is really, really important. And I I find what's interesting is people act like there's this attitude that we can't avoid it. It's just the way life is. But I do Mm -hmm. think that being busy really is a choice. Mm -hmm. It really is a choice. You know, even myself, like sometimes I'll complain about how busy my day was, but it really, I I can say no, I choose not to, Mm -hmm. but it it does ultimately Mm -hmm. become our choice and we have to check ourselves. Saying no is, is, is a skill that we have to develop and really sometimes giving yourself a little pause before you say yes to something, which is something I've learned to do. If somebody says, Hey, can you do this? I will say, you know what? I need to get back to you or let me think about that because we want to say yes. It feels good to say yes. It feels good when somebody wants you to do something. And I think particularly as women that, um, the expectation is that we'll be able to handle everything. And we do handle a lot of things. We're really good for the most part of making stuff happen. So it, it, it sort of feeds our esteem too when we're asked to do things and we want to be busy. So saying no sometimes goes, goes kind of against what we, what we have been trained to say and what we want to do. Yes. Sometimes I say no and I really want to say yes. And I say, I, I sort of think of different parts of myself. I say that, so there's a part of you that wants to say yes. And there's another part of you that wants to say no. So let's, which part are you going to listen to? Yeah. It really is a, it really is a skill you have to develop and practice. I love the example in your book about the invitation you got for a Sunday in May. And, mm-hmm. and you just thought about it. Wait a second. It's, it's going to be so beautiful. I don't want to take the words out of your mouth, mm-hmm. but. It'll be so beautiful, yeah. Visu- you know, visualizing that Sunday in May, even though it's, it was many mm-hmm. months away. Do you really want to be, would you really want plans that day or, or, or a beautiful yeah. spring day in May? Would it be better just to have no plans? Right, right. Yeah, that's regret prevention. And um, thinking if you, my husband will say that to me too. He'll say, because he does, he does, he runs my business. So I want to talk about my husband. He's, he's writing contracts. So he knows what my schedule is. So if I say, oh, this is this is a, a a Saturday in May or a Sunday in May, um, and he says, so let's just let's just think ahead, and and if you it, he will say to me, if you say yes to this, 
Just imagine how you're going to feel the night before. And if you say to me, oh, why did I say yes to this? I am, I'm going to have no sympathy for you. And that's regret prevention. If I say yes now, can I project myself into the future and imagine what that will feel like on that Sunday in May? And I really could. I absolutely could imagine what it would feel like. You know, And I knew exactly how I would feel. No, it's true. Yeah. And I think that I've learned to really love having nothing on my calendar on a weekend. Mm-hmm. It's the best. Um, it is the best. It's the best. Yeah. My mother-in-law, yeah. I've learned from her, she always says that not getting invited to something, she it's it's often a blessing. Like she's so happy sometimes when she doesn't get invited. Because, you mm-hmm. know, when I was younger, I would think, oh my goodness, I didn't get invited. I feel left out. And she's like, no, 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 no. It's the best. Like when you get to that day, <laughs> you don't have to go to something. So I take a page yeah. from her book. Yeah, that is very wise advice. I was in I was in my bed on a, a Saturday night recently, under my covers, watching something on Netflix. I was probably watching the Great British Baking Show. Um, and I thought to myself, there are people who are out doing things, right? Oh, that must be awful to have to go to a party or to go out to dinner. And I love my friends, but it is really nice to just be able to say no. We have to be able to appreciate that. We need that time. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So another thing I wanted to ask you about is this idea of self-care and what really is self-care. Mm-hmm. It's this term that I agree with you. It gets thrown around a lot. Can you talk about it in the sense that how how can we how can we find true self-care where it can help us lessen our anxiety? So there's a distinction I make between self-care and self-medication, and I see those things getting combined a lot. We did a podcast episode, one of our most popular podcast episodes actually, on the mommy wine culture, because that is something that I hear a lot, right? So I'm going to give, I'm going to take care of myself by drinking, or I'm going to take care of myself by spending money I don't have. The way that I define self-care is that it's a consistent practice that has long-term benefits. The other way that you have to think about self-care is that sort of ironically, paradoxically, oftentimes you don't feel like doing self-care before you start doing it. Self-medication is a quick fix. It helps you eliminate emotions. It takes away something. But long-term, you're going to have regrets, right? There's a lot. I've talked a lot about regret, but regret prevention is a good model to follow. If you are doing true self-care, long-term, you're never going to regret it. Like when I go for a walk with a friend, when you go for a walk with a friend, the next day I don't say, oh, I can't believe I went with a, went for a walk with Christine, right? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. I never say that. Never. If I go, if I go and exercise, if I get a good night's sleep, but when you, when you self-medicate, oftentimes the next day you say, oh, it felt good at the time, but why did I, why did I stay up too late? Why did I drink so much? Why did I eat that half a chocolate cake? Thinking about self-care as a consistent practice is so much more helpful than thinking about how can I do something to feel better right in this moment that really is not going to pay off. It's really true. The other, I mean, It's really yeah. true. I always say my, one of my favorite lines is I never regret a workout. It's true. Yep. I never, I, that, that's what I, that's the mantra I tell myself to get myself out the mm-hmm. door. I never regret mm-hmm. it, but you're absolutely right. I've definitely regretted staying up too late, watching a movie, maybe buying yep. something I didn't need to buy. 
Yep. Um, yeah. Procrastinating, doing some stupid things so that you procrastinate. Yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never left the gym and gone like, oh, why did I get up and go do that workout? Right. I'm always driving home thinking, yay, I get to go drink coffee now. Um, so being, being aware of that and paying attention to that is really helpful. The other thing too, I talk about with self-care is the word self-care, oftentimes you hear that and it does sound a little cliche, you're right. But generally, you're taking care of yourself because it makes you a better person to the other people that have to deal with you on planet Earth, right? You're a better pediatrician when you're taking care of yourself. I'm a better clinician. I'm a better parent. I'm a better wife. I'm a better daughter when I'm taking care of myself. So it really is, you know, I'm, I'm really doing family care. I'm not doing self-care. I'm doing family care. I'm doing people that I love benefit from me taking care of myself. Yes. And I think that that's pretty obvious when you think about that. You're also being a good example for your children. Mm -hmm. So hopefully when they see you, when they see that model of someone who exercises as self-care and and healthy Mm -hmm. self-care, hopefully they'll do the same thing when they're older and maybe Mm -hmm. that will help their anxiety. Yeah, right. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're saying to your kids and showing your kids, and they're going to see it too, like when my kids were little, if I went to the gym or I used to teach spinning and I came back, they knew I was in a better mood. They knew I wasn't cranky after I went and taught a spinning class. Yes. And I was very clear about that. So you're modeling, modeling, modeling. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. And I definitely relate to you because when you talked about how exercise is so important, it's your, it's your uh, I don't want to say drug of choice, but your... Uh, what you choose to do to you help, say, <laughs> what, yeah, yeah, what you to yeah, do to help your, it's my drug yeah, to help yeah. your mood. I, I completely relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things I've been thinking about in terms of what's increasing. We talk about anxiety and thinking about that with kids, and I was thinking about what our bodies are meant to do, like what they're designed to do. So they're designed to move. We are not designed as sedentary creatures. They're designed to sleep during the night, not during the day, because we're hugely diurnal, right? Those circadian rhythms are powerful. Absolutely. They're, they're designed to eat real healthy food that gives you nutrients, not Skittles and Cheetos. We're designed to be social and to verbally communicate. I mean, there is such cool information about this voice we have that's so unique in the way we communicate. And if you think about what has happened and what has changed dramatically over the last 10 years with kids, it's, it's sleep. It's whether or not they're moving. It's what they're eating and whether or not they're verbally communicating with people face to face. And so when we say like, what's going on, what's going on? I just feel like, well, look, go back to the basics and look at what our bodies and braids are meant to do and how different that is and how dramatic that's changed in the last few decades. I think it goes a long way to explaining how how we're seeing so much change in both mental health. And I'm sure you see it in the physical health when in, in pediatrics, it must be astounding over the last 20, 30 years, what has changed? No, it's true. And I think all parents know that too much screen time causes anxiety. It's not as healthy as going outside, but I think parents don't know how to make those changes. I think kids are, Mm -hmm. it's really hard. That's why I think, I think honestly, you talking about it is the, is such an important step because recognizing it, and being deliberate about how we spend our time. It's so important. Another thing I want to talk about that I really loved you drawing attention to was this idea of rumination. Um, mm-hmm. Because I have to admit, I am guilty of this. I noticed that mm-hmm. I 
Ruminate. Um, and I love that you brought it up because I'm trying to catch myself that ruminating or thinking about things I could have done, should have said, um, could have played out differently. It doesn't help. It does not help. It does not help. And the, the way that it's so enticing is that it does feel like you're doing something productive, right? It feels like you're working through stuff. One of the things, one of the, the yes. beefs I have with therapy, because I have a lot of beefs with my own profession, is that a lot of therapy is really ruminative. Like if you're depressed and you're going back and you're just talking about things, or when I say to kids who have gone to somebody else, I say, so what did you do in your therapy for four years? Oh, I just went in and talked about what makes me anxious. Going over it and over it and over it, it there's there's this this sense or this belief that we're we're doing the work, but it's not really what we're supposed to be doing. It's not problem solving, right? It's the gum chewing of thinking that it feels like you're eating something nutritional, but you're just chewing gum. And it's it becomes kind of a habit that that it's great that you're recognizing that you do it because a lot of people don't even know that they're doing it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, but there is that idea that if you talk about something that happened in the past, that might be therapeutic, but I think it only goes so far. Correct. So people ask me that all the time. They'll say, well, aren't you supposed to be able to process your trauma or isn't it important to you for to, for you to understand sort of, you know, what happened in your family that made you think about things in this way? And that is absolutely the case. Ruminating is not, it, ruminating is, is going over and over and over something. Sometimes looking for approval, sometimes hoping that it'll be differently. Sometimes it's just to beat yourself up that you did something and you feel guilty about. So you're just going to go over it and over and over it. There's no, there's no point to it. There's no end goal to it. This is why with therapy, I, I always talk about the how questions versus the why questions. Why is interesting, you know, like why do you blah, blah, you know, why have you had 20 affairs? Why do you blah, blah, blah? Okay, we can figure that out. We can figure that out fairly quickly, I think. Like I don't need, <laughs> when somebody comes in and they're anxious, I don't need 20 sessions to figure out why they're anxious. I usually need about seven minutes. It's not that complicated. And then we got to move to the how. So ruminating is you're sort of stuck on the why wheel, like why, why, why? And the how is what am I going to do next? That's what we want it to, to, to be. We want it to be an active process, not a ruminative process. So, but, but ruminating feels good too. That's why people do it. Does it? Is that what it is? Yeah. I mean, it feels bad and good at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely noticed that, you know, if I'm lying in bed at if if I'm lying in bed at night and I can't sleep, I can ruminate. What's your advice on that front? How to end rumination just to catch yourself while you're doing it? And yeah, so so you want to catch yourself while you're doing it. The first thing always is that it's gonna happen. So if you say to yourself like I have to eliminate ruminating, not gonna work. <laughs> it's gonna happen, and then you have to catch yourself. And then when you catch yourself. You want to say, oh, so I'm ruminating and, and I'm going to acknowledge that this is not useful. Because people who ruminate really believe that it serves a purpose. So if you catch yourself doing it, you can say, oh, this is not useful. And then you want to unhook from it. So unhooking is a little different. People talk about distraction. Uh, distraction is sort of like, oh, I can't think about that. I don't want to think about that. Unhooking is like, oh, I, I'm doing that thing. So now I'm going to say, okay, so I did it. So now I'm just going to take a step in another direction. 
So you catch yourself doing it. I was just talking to somebody this afternoon, um, Joan London, actually. Uh, we were talking about ruminating. And um, she was talking about at night falling asleep, how she catches herself ruminating. So she started doing the subtract numbers, like count backwards. So if you catch yourself ruminating and you have a hard time unhooking, particularly if it's at night, that's when you want to do some of these little tricks. I say you want to give your brain something else to chew on so that it unhooks from what you're stuck on. So pick a pick a random number, pick 92 and start subtracting by seven or play the alphabet game, which I talk about. You know, the other night I couldn't fall asleep. I was in a hotel. I couldn't fall asleep. So I did the alphabet game with towns in Massachusetts. I don't even live in Massachusetts. <laughs> But I just, I was like, A, Acton, B, Boston, C, Concord. And I got, I don't remember getting past letter E. I just fell asleep. That's pretty yeah. good. What, one of my recent yeah. tricks has been trying to, you know, everyone talks about gratitude now and how gratitude can be helpful. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just go to bed and when I catch myself ruminating, I think about the things in my life that I'm grateful for. And, oh, that's and great. that can help. Does it work? Do you fall asleep? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> not not yeah. all the time, but de- definitely it worked the other <laughs> night. Well, you know what? If you if you stay awake going through your gratitude list for six hours, right. that's better than staying awake and ruminating for six hours. So at true. least at least you're using you're using your insomnia more productively. We might say that. That's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And the other part I I wanted to bring up because I'm I think that if it helps me, maybe it'll help somebody else listening. Mm-hmm. You talk about how we can be irritable, and irritable is normal. Mm-hmm. And irritability can be a form of anxiety. But what I really liked with your advice was talking about how if you admit it to your family, you know, in a nice way, like, hey, Mm -hmm. I'm really sorry, I worked a really hard day today, I'm just going to be irritable. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that really helps so much. And so Mm -hmm. um, rather than coming home in a bad mood or grumpy, and leaving everybody else to wonder what's going on, right, I think that's... I think that was really helpful. And I actually think with my family, when I try that, you know, I, I try to be in a good mood, but sometimes we're human and we, we can't always be. Um, it sure. definitely softens the mood. So I think that was really yeah. good advice. Thanks. Um, yeah, it works well for my family um, because my office is attached to my house. So my commute is you know, seven inches. So people will tell me that they're irritable and they're driving home and that's where they listen to music or they listen to a podcast and it helps make that transition. I had a very quick transition to make. So yeah, I would just say I'm really tired. I'm sorry if I'm grumpy and I've been talking to people all day and um, just give me a few minutes to get my, uh, you know, get my mojo back, get my groove back. Um, I also find it's really helpful in marriages too, right? So it's good for what we model for our kids, but if um if my husband is grumpy and sometimes I'll say to him have you eaten cuz he's a real he's a real um hangry like, he, he's yeah you know those snickers commercials he could be in one of those snickers commercials <laughs> um so I'll say have you eaten and then I'll say he'll say oh no I haven't eaten yet I guess I guess that's why I'm grumpy or he'll say uh this morning actually he said I've got to eat something right now before I start getting irritable and I was like you you go girl <laughs> right you go you go eat that oatmeal so so it really is just just Owning, you know, I mean, this is what it is. It's like owning your own stuff yes. and saying to your kids, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm grumpy. L- give me a few minutes or I'm going to go for a walk. Yes. The thing that's so important about that is that when parents are grumpy, when parents are miserable, kids try and figure out what they did to cause it because that's developmentally what they do. Right. We take it personal. They're, they're, 
That's right, because they're they're still, you know, they're kind of the center of their own world, right? A little seven-year-old is just sort of, you know, she's her whole world, and you're a big part of it. So they try and figure out what they did, and then for parents that are chronically irritable and not addressing it, kids try and figure out what they can do to make their parents happy. And that is a bad path to go down. Yes. That, that I'm responsible for your happiness. And so the more that parents are just talking about what they're feeling, emotional literacy, that's the ability to talk about your feelings. We don't, we don't have to make it a, you know, a, a two hour discussion. But the more that parents model putting words to their feelings, I'm sorry, I'm really grumpy today because something happened at work, or I'm feeling really sad today because I heard about something that happened to a friend. The more you model that for kids, the more they're going to have permission to recognize and talk about the nuance of their feelings. We know that kids that are, that are better at doing that have better mental health outcomes. So we're, we're just modeling, we're modeling how to be good human beings in all sorts of different ways, not perfect human beings, but we're modeling how do we take care of ourselves? How do we talk about things? How do we own our emotions? All that stuff is so good in families. Absolutely. And I, I feel victorious. Like my daughter recently, she'll tell me, you know, I'm just so sorry I was grumpy this morning. I'm not a morning person. I don't feel like myself. I'm sorry that I did that. And <gasps> I know. And she's 12 years old 12 years and she's old. saying that. Yeah, specific. <laughs> you should feel victorious. You should wear a tiara all day when she says that, Jessica. You should just have like your like your tweener tiara that you put on and you wear all day because your tweeter said that to you. No, she, she specific. That's amazing. She specifically said, Mommy, I don't feel like uh, myself till 1038, till third period. She goes, <laughs> <laughs> that's so cute. Then I feel more like myself. Yeah. And so I said, that's, you know, and, yeah. and when she said that to me, I also in turn... It made me more understanding of her in the morning when she's grumpy, that it's right. not something I said. It's not something she really can help. And she she's working on it. And that you don't have to fix it. Right. That, that's, that you don't have to jump in and talk to her about it or fix it or worry like, oh, you know, do I have to give her more breakfast or what's going on? She's just saying, yeah, I, I'm not a morning person and I need till 1038. I think yeah, that's see, so just you're, it. you're yeah, you're raising this, you're raising this, this little person who's really becoming self-aware. That's a wonderful gift that you're giving her. You must be showing her that. Oh, thank you. I, well, I think, you know, again, why I love your book so much is I think a lot of us have a, an internal fear that we are going to pass on our stuff to our kids. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate yeah. learning about the anxiety audit, auditing myself and hopefully uh, making yeah. a, a difference with my own family. Yeah, because then there comes the guilt, right? Oh, yeah. It's real. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> real. It's so real. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole well, other the topic. Reality, yeah, that is a whole other topic. The, the reality is, is that we do pass on our stuff to our kids. That's what I say to parents. Like, that's how human beings work. Right. So, of course, that's how it works. We know that. So, instead of, instead of resisting that, instead of sort of being like, oh, my God, I'm going to pass my stuff on to my kids, just be like, yeah, that's how it works. So I better work on my stuff. No, absolutely. I right? mean, yeah, I mean, myself, I, I'm often feeling guilty. I'm getting better, but because I work and then I have my three mm -hmm. kids. But the mm -hmm. truth is, when I think about it, if I didn't work, I would not be a good mom. Like it would for my personality, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. Yeah. So for me to be the best, I have to acknowledge and, and be forgiving of myself that for me to be the best mom I can be, I actually do need to work. 
Well, the other thing too is that obviously if your 12-year-old is saying, oh, I have this awareness that I'm not a morning person, you're working, but you're also very connected to your kids. It's not like those two things are mutually exclusive. Thank you. Right? So so being there's there's a big difference between being a working parent and being a disconnected parent. Thank you, Lynn. You're not, you're, you're not a disconnected <laughs> you, parent. You know the right yeah. things to say to me. <laughs> no, no. I, <laughs> but I agree. No, I, I do. I do feel like we really are connected. And I, I agree. I think that does make the difference. If I didn't feel that, that would be a whole other, mm-hmm. whole other story. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a, a mom recently and she's got um, two little kids. Um, I forget how old, maybe like five and three. And she's got this corporate job. She's hating her job. She's feeling disconnected from her kids. And she's realizing that as much as she loves to work, A, she doesn't love this job. And that it's probably a good time for her to take a few years off so that she can connect with her kids and then figure out what she's going to do a little later in their lives. And that's, that's just good self-awareness. Absolutely. That she, she, she loves having her own money. She loves having the, the, the status of her well-paying job, but she's recognizing that she's very disconnected from her kids right now and she's not going to do that. That's tough. So we all have to, we all have to, yeah, but she's, she's going to make a change, right? So we all have to, we all have to just figure out, you know, I, I, I took time off when my boys were little. Um, and then I, sort of slowly got back into it. And they were mad at me when I started working again. My uh, younger son had a lisp. And so anytime I put on a skirt, he knew that I was going to work. So he would go, stupid skirt, stupid skirt, because he was so mad that I was leaving. But it was good for all of us to have that. Yeah. So you are such a gift. I'm so, I, I cannot tell you how lucky I feel. Like podcasting, this is the fun part for me is getting to talk to somebody mm-hmm. as as insightful and wonderful as you. Thank you so much for coming on on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. If you are enjoying this podcast, it would make me so happy if you would take the time to write a podcast review and share it with a friend or three or even seven. See you next Monday.